This is Dance Talk Radio, brought to you by PhiladelphiaDance.org, your one-stop spot for everything dance in Philly. I am your host, Charles Tyson Jr., and I am thrilled to have our first guest of the new year, 2024. She is a wonderful, dynamic performer and choreographer and art creator and an all-around just cool person, if I do say so myself, and I do. Megan Masaryk is in the house. Hi, Megan. Hello, hello. It's good to talk to you. It's been a while, Charles. I know. We keep like passing like ships in the night. <laughs> I, I just was remembering the other day that lesson I did a flash mob for you for something another maybe like what nine years ago? I Ten was years ago? just thinking about that myself actually. <laughs> you saved my bacon that day. Yeah, I, remember, I quit. remember when they were huge for a, Remember for a when minute? they were huge and not right wing talking points? Yes, yes. <laughs> but yeah, that was fun. That was a, a 90s old school hip hop dance flash mob for a client's wife's birthday. <laughs> and I made this long instructional video and you like absorbed it in less than 24 hours and came in and was flawless. I was like, wow, <laughs> that's a professional. <laughs> There was a lot of flash mob gigging at that point in time. Um, but I think that was a period in my life when I was doing a lot of sort of any any gigs. So I was happy to flash mob for you. And I was glad. Yeah, is there a gig? Is there a dance? I am in. <laughs> yes. Does it pay? I will be there. Exactly. <laughs> $2, multiples of $2, count me in. <laughs> count me in. Is it over 50? Yes. I love it. I know it. that's right. <laughs> Tens of fives of dozens of dollars. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so you are from North Carolina. Is that right? Uh, yes, I am. I sure <laughs> am from North Carolina. I put that Southern accent. I tamped it down. It's way down. Way down deep inside. <laughs> no, it's, it's funny. When I go back home for the holidays, I find myself talking slower and I pick up a, just a little bit of the drawl. But for the most part, I've been in Philly long enough that it's been erased. <laughs> but I love it. <laughs> no, it's so good. It's, it's so foxy and, you know. So honest. wait, whereabouts in North Carolina? Um, I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina. Actually, Les and I uh, own a home in Durham, North Carolina, because when my daughter was three, uh, we were both kind of overwhelmed and just needed sort of help. Um, we moved back to North Carolina for about a year and a half, and we bought a home in Durham during that time. So this was in 20... I've been in Philly since 2004, late 2004. Uh, and in 2018, Les and I moved back to North Carolina for a year and a half. But during that year and a half, half we bought a house in Durham, North Carolina, which we still own and we rent out. And maybe nice. one day we'll go back to it. So we'll, we'll see. Okay. A little country home. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I would call Durham the country, you know. Like, I was going to say. <laughs> Durham is a town, you know. Um, actually, Juma lives in Durham these days. Last time I was in Durham, I saw Juma. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I always ask, 
I always ask whereabouts in, in North Carolina when someone's from North Carolina because I have family in Wadesboro and nobody ever knows what the hell I'm talking about. I don't even know what the hell you're talking about. And I'm See? <laughs> Where is well, wait, Wadesboro close to? Like, what's the biggest? Child. <laughs> this, the, it's not close to the biggest anything. It's I'm, Anson I'm, County. Anson County. I'm looking this up because I'm actually surprised I don't know where it is. I know a lot of small towns in North If you North drive North. too fast, you miss the whole thing. Wadesboro? I'm going to look and see what you're close to. Yeah, let me know. I haven't been since I was a kid. but Yeah, you aren't close to anything. That mm-hmm. is true. You're uh-huh. close to South Carolina is what you're close to. <laughs> it's the biggest town we're close to. <laughs> yes. I mean, Pinehurst. Actually, you're not that far from Laurenburg. You're about, that's about 30 minutes away from Laurenburg, North Carolina, where I went to governor school as a child. So. Okay. See, there you go. <laughs> I have a zero. That's the middle of nowhere in NC for sure. Yes. Yeah, I have a 0% success rate of asking people from North Carolina about Wadesboro and them knowing what the heck I'm talking about. <laughs> now I know. Now I know. <laughs> Close to South Carolina, not far from Laurenburg. <laughs> I love it. So um, you said 2004 brought you to Philly. Um, tell me a little bit about, you know, what brought you to Philadelphia, what was your dance journey that brought you to Philly? Um, actually, if I'm really honest with you, the thing that brought me to Philly was Paul Turner. Okay. When I was in undergrad at UNCG, which is University of North Carolina at Greensboro, uh, I came across, or probably more accurately, some of my dancing peers, the people in my class, saw Paul Turner's work at an ACDA, which is the, actually back then it was ACDFA. FA, yeah. Yeah, back in those days. But they said, oh, we ran into this guy named Paul Turner who's, you know, a Philly choreographer and he's so wild and crazy and the movement was insane and they were wearing, you know, duct tape on their breasts and they had um, crazy football jersey. Everybody's fo- flinging around and it just made this huge impression. Uh, Sounds accurate. (laughs) Yes. And I met um, a couple of dancers from VCU because UNCG kind of had a sort of, I don't want to say symbiotic relationship with VCU, but a lot of students from UNCG ended up transferring to VCU. And I knew a lot of students who went to VCU. So I would go up and hang out at VCU and sort of party at VCU. And a lot of the students I met there were going to Philly. Alex Holmes. Um, gosh, I can't remember some of the other dancers. Oh, there hmm. was a dancer, her Ashley Sutter. Sutler? Sutler, yeah. Sutler. Um, there was a couple of people from BCU who were sort of migrating to Philly, uh, kind of to dance with Paul or because they knew of Paul, because Paul was a VCU grad. I came. I learned that much later in my journey, but... Part of the reason I went to Philly or I started thinking about Philadelphia was because of this idea that there was another dance city that wasn't New York that Mm. had wild experimental dance. And so I had this sort of Philadelphia bug planted in my ear 
from some VCU people, um, from Paul Turner and being exposed to his work. Uh, and so this was something I was kind of thinking about way back in, I'd say 2002 when I was like 22. Mm -hmm. So I started thinking about it even before I moved. And then when I was sort of wasting away teaching studio classes in my postgraduate haze or my post undergraduate haze, I just mm. finished undergraduate and you're like, what am I doing? I'm in North Carolina. There's no, there's not a lot of dance here. You know? Um, so I was teaching a couple studio classes and just sort of, I, I didn't, I didn't have any big plans. You know, people don't have a real good sense of what they want to do after undergrad. And I was no exception to that. And I ended up applying for a couple of um, graduate programs just because I, I needed more and I needed some direction. And so I applied for University of Maryland and I applied to Temple and I got full rides to both of those programs. Um, ended up going to Temple. Yes, you did. So you know, I was like, Back then, University of Maryland actually was, uh, gosh, I can't even explain it. There were, I mean, because I've been to University of Maryland now, and it's a huge university, and it's the dance department is humongous. But back when I applied, it was teeny, teeny, tiny. It was super small. There was really it was like brand new. It was brand new. They had just started their grad program, you know, I guess in maybe there had been a couple classes before me or one class before me, and I just, it didn't really appeal to me. So I, I came to grad school at Temple. Yeah, when I was toying around with going to grad school, I was thinking about, I was looking at University of Maryland and I would have been like the first or second class. And yeah. I'm like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure you probably had the same feeling that I did, which is I needed, men I mean, I don't know if you had this feeling. For me, I needed mentors and I wasn't in a place as an artist to be a mentor and they wanted to hire people to teach the undergrads and to kind of make some kind of stake in the ground at that university. And I just, I was 24 and didn't have the, uh, I just didn't have it. You know, I didn't, I mean, I wasn't prepared to be that person. Right. Well, you want to learn from them, not vice versa. Yeah. I was like, so it, it was a, it was really a grad at that point in time, it was a program that was more for people who just wanted to create their, you know, have time to create their own stuff. And I needed, I need, I didn't need, I just wanted mentorship, I think. Right. Direction. Lead me, steer me. Help me. Help right. guide me. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I I dare say it worked out. <laughs> it did. I love Philly. I got a lot of love for Philly. Yeah, and thank you, Paul Turner. <laughs> I say that to him all the time. I love, you know, Paul Turner brought me here. Paul Turner, you know, God bless Paul Turner. He's still doing it. I just saw him in, um, Page's work recently. I was like, yes. At, uh, at Icebox? Thank you for bring yes. I was so excited to see him back on the stage. So excited. So I was doing tech work, setting that show up. And the first dress rehearsal was that night. And he walked in. I literally almost fell over because I hadn't like laid eyes on him in real life in so long. <laughs> I almost fell over when I saw his name listed when Paige was doing promo for that show. I went, you got Paul? Right. What? <laughs> I cannot believe he's dancing for you. So yeah, I was su super excited. It took me, like I almost poked him to make sure he was real and I wasn't hallucinating. <laughs> Paul's amazing. He is a legend. Yes. 
true that. In fact, I need to talk to him. But um, so my introduction to you, I think, was when you did the uh, the New Edge residency at the CEC. What yeah. year was that? That was two thousand and seven. I believe 2007 or 2008, one of, one of those two years. That sounds right. And you did, it was a piece about video games, right? <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I'm still making dances about video games. Um, <laughs> hey. Hey, well, if it works, it works. Um, yeah, the name of that piece was Avatar, which is yes. not not so PC these days, but... It, it was pre the Avatar movie. So, of course, if you say Avatar, uh, these days it seems like a, you know, a mockumentary style satire on the movie Avatar. It had nothing to do with the movie Avatar. Avatar had not come out at the time. Um, yes. So, that yeah, that Avatar, <laughs> Avatar was a really um, fun, yeah, that was a fun piece. It was myself uh alex holmes juma mm -hmm. my dear friend brad ellis and um john peary aka john pizza who is an actor in new york oh wow yeah, yeah i remember because oh seven i guess I, i'm trying to remember why i was spending so much time there because i wasn't doing etc there yet i don't think but um I was there for a lot of the the process of the marketing, so I was like learning a lot about what you were doing. I did everything but come to the Ding Dang show. I'm sorry, <laughs> but like I was fascinated because like all of the characters seemed to be like fleshed out, and like you do your research. You don't just like I have an idea and then put it on stage. Like you have. You, you sit with it and you, you flesh it out and you create the world that it exists in. And the costumes, sometimes the costumes are the world that it lives in. Like, talk to me a little bit about your creative process. I, this is the question I've been dying to ask you. Oh, gosh. Um, you know, it's so funny because I feel that uh, my process for making has changed a lot since that era, since my I'm sure temple era. Um, but in terms of, you know, I, I change it up. So oof, these days, I'm going to talk about my process these days, okay. these days, as in the past couple of years, um, since 2020, I would say I've been making a lot of work that is heavily improvisational, but then it gets set along the way. Mm -hmm. So these days I've been making work where, or rather in the past couple of years, I've been making work where I have a really tight improv score, um, usually based off of a concept of some sort. And then the score gets more narrow and more narrow and more narrow. And that improv score almost sometimes turns into set choreography. Um, I'm trying to think of like a, a, a specific example. I mean, I think a lot of people work this way, you know, but I think the thing that I do that maybe other folks don't do is I usually, in the studio process when I'm working with other dancers, or even if I'm working by myself, a lot of the sort of mistakes get kept in the work. 
um, cause I'm drawn to what is interesting or funny or weird or engaging inside of the material. So usually I'm trying to find, um, something that is maybe, uh, I don't know how to explain like a, a non sequitur inside of the process. So mm. if there, if there's a moment that is really funny or stupid or all the dancers just in the middle of the improv forget, then maybe the thing that gets kept is, oh, we should have a moment where we forget, where we all fall on the floor like we're forgetting something. So I, I'm, you know, I'm trying to find the the interesting bits. This is challenging, um, mm. you know. I, but a, a lot of the material is it starts with like improv structures. I do a lot of um, sort of specific choreography around like a, a very specific concept. So I'll bring in my own movement material, like a phrase or a couple of phrases. That's usually based on something kind of like minute. Let me think like recently I had a, a phrase that was based on being in one tiny space. So it could be done on a, a little bitty box or the dancers could do it together. Or another phrase I did recently was about the idea of sort of lone cowboy. So there was a lot of material that was swoopy and sort of, um, uh, felt to me a little bit like, uh, Western, like some of the images of a Western, like the, like if you were to take a, a silhouette of a cowboy, you know how you have those silhouetted cowboys yes. you, you might see on like a old kind of country home or something, you know, like the sort of weird cowboy silhouette. So a lot of the trying to embody those weird silhouettes, like the lasso or trying to become the lasso. Um, so that was a phrase I did fairly recently. Thank you for saying lasso because you were doing the lasso gesture. Was like, say it, say it. Lasso. You know, I'm trying to be the lasso, trying to, you know, so there was like trying to be a hat, you know, this kind of stuff. I was really, when I was uh, younger, I remember listening to this Bill T. Jones documentary mm. where he talks about, it was the documentary he made for Uncle Tom's Cabin. Yes. Talks about the different characters. Um, I can't, I shouldn't, I mean, it's funny because the, the, what really seared in my mind more than anything else is how he had different dancers portray these little nuanced moments. And so one of the dancers, and I cannot, I should remember who exactly what dancer it was, but, um, what was doing something to the Sojourner Truth monologue. Mm -hmm. I, I and I can't remember which dancer it was, the um, the Ain't I a Woman bit yes. of, that, of that material. And uh, Bill T. Jones talks about, you know, these gestures having this kind of resonant imagery. Yes. And I, I, I think that uh, idea of creating gesture or putting the body in a way that has some sort of resonant imagery, I, I utilize a lot in my work, you know, so that when I'm creating phrases, I'm trying to, and it's, of course, I'm not, um, it's not the same resonant imagery that Bill T. Jones would use, but maybe like in the case of a video game, it's like, I'm trying to be the screen of the video game, or I'm yeah. trying to be a controller, or there, or there's like these gestures are trying to become an image, um, and they fit into pieces in some way. I love that that documentary was was formational for you as well because it definitely was for me. Yeah, just like that whole thing of like you can 
like the value of the gestural reference. He breaks you know? it down in that. I, I, I mean, I haven't seen it in such a long time, but I'm going to have to look at it now that we were talking about it. I bring I, it out every few years just to have it back in my life. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, the the um, and I can't remember the name. Something the making of Uncle Top's cabin or whatever. Then I don't remember exactly what it was called, but just the way that he frames all of the different pieces. So here's a big piece where all the dancers are naked. Here's a section where somebody is dancing to this "Ain't I a Woman" speech, right. and there's a certain kind of gesture and a character that comes out of the gesture. Here's another section where the dancers are weird dogs. You know, like there's. There was the way that he had all of this collage of different materials to that were all addressing the same kind of general subject. I think because I saw that relatively early in my practice as a choreographer, like in, you know, 18, 19, I don't remember when I saw it, what age, like maybe 18 or 19, it right. really had this uh, impact on, oh, I can uncover all of these threads in this tapestry of the work. It doesn't have to be one singular idea. I don't have to make a piece called blue where we are blue and we, you know, it, there's so, so much nuance, um, in the way that it was created. So that had a, a pretty huge impact. I'm trying to find the name of the documentary because it's bothering me too. Yeah, it was, um, I know. I, I just keep coming up with last supper and uncle Tom's camp in the promised land. Was it just that? And that it was just the making. It might've been actually. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that was A, I think that was my introduction to Bill T. Jones and his way of working. And yeah, that the richness of gesture and, you know, how it the gesture could be like less than a second long, but the 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 reference is, you know, this dense personal historical moment. You know what I mean? I love that. There's funny little things that you realize you really hook you. Um, there was a while where I kept trying, I couldn't figure out why I was interested in these funny little patterns and this way of walking in some of my earlier choreography. And it's because I saw these uh, Kyogen plays in uh, undergrad. For some reason, the theater department decided to do a series of Kyogen plays, these very traditional Japanese plays where you're move in these very bizarre patterns where you're like you're barely moving and they have these interesting little pattern structures but the characters um are, are like very slow and they they move the voice moves up with the body and they kind of you know they're like you know like they do these right. like like walk 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 and the voice moves with the moving and there's um and i was really interested for a long time in making these little like strange uh characters that moved in these little patterns and later like years later i was like it was because of those kyogen plays i <laughs> love that you know like so there's these like little things that you discover years later like oh that's why i've been doing this dumb thing mm. or chasing this dumb this image like why am i so interested in this image of characters moving this specific specific patterning and it, you realize years later oh it was this one thing i saw that made some big impact, you know? Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I saw the the movie that won the Oscar last year, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yes. Um, you saw that? But I saw that movie and I was like, that's every dance I've ever wanted to make in a movie form. 
yeah, you know, like, right. but you have, you have those moments where you're like, oh, and then they, they drop all of the acting and they become rocks, you know, like, oh, that's brilliant, you know, it's like, I want to do that. I want to drop all the dancing and we just like rocks talking to each other. Um, you know, so all these little things that I see kind of. I'm surprised uh, you haven't done that yet, actually. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's in the next piece. Just like put on. Actually, it's funny, though, because I have looked deeply into. Do you know those fake rocks that cover uh, the weird bits that are outside of a house? They're, they're fake rocks. Not like real rocks. Holders. Not just keys, they're big ones to cover your air conditioning unit or your little um, oh. little spigots and things that come up. So they have big, weird boulders. And for a while, I did do a deep dive on like, oh my God, I would love to have a bunch of huge rocks that people crouched under and like high under. And so the audience would come and be like, oh, look at that nice set, a bunch of rocks and the rocks could move around. So I did, I have thought of doing rocks before. But I could never find really big ones. So if you know of any giant, they're these like hilarious, they're kind of tacky. You know, they're like the, these weird, they're supposed to look like landscape, but they really are obviously covering things. Right. You know, anyway. They must exist. <laughs> maybe that's, that might be, the, this is in my next piece, weird fake rocks that move around. I don't know. You have to like get really small and like scooch in a weird way. Rocks and that's the title weird big rocks that move around move around but it you know that, that would just be a moment yeah. a uh, work in progress <laughs> rocks my rock dance i love it i love it so you are married to les les rivera yes. um so what's it like being part of an artist couple because i know it's not always easy um you know, it's, I think it's actually, it's not, I, yes, of course, it's not always easy, but I think it's really helpful for both of us because we go through these little phases where one of us is really doing something, a project really intensely, and the other one kind of can pick up the slack in terms of, before we had our daughter, it might be picking up the slack in terms of getting the groceries and doing food and yada, 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 or now that we have a kid, it's picking up the slack in terms of, can you please watch her while I go to the studio and do this? Can you take Maz to gymnastics and, you know, so now it's a little bit, it's a little bit um, of a partnership that exists for functional um, purposes. You know, we, we help each other out a lot. And I, I think it's funny there were definitely times where we both, I mean, we've clashed heads a lot, a lot, because we have very different working style. Mm. Uh, I tend to have that kind of, I have sort of a, a more of a scatterbrained, like I'm going to follow this little thing that I want. And if I don't feel the muses striking me, I kind of am a little more quiet in my artistic practice. Um, or that's the way I was working for a long period of time where, oh, I'm interested in this. I'm very focused on this. And then oh, I'm not really interested in anything right now. I'm just going to maybe go take class, teach, do these other things where Les has a, a very sort of almost laser focus on whatever he's doing, where he becomes obsessed with the thing. Right. Um, and I've watched him do that through filmmaking. And then he had a band for a very long period of time. I remember. Yeah, I know. I know it's 
many people don't realize this, but Les also had a band. Um, you know, that was like, I don't know, six years of his life. He was focused, obsessed with his band. And then he kind of just dropped it. So right. he, yeah, he has the, he has this like interesting ability to really focus in on specific things, get really excited about it. And that's all he does. I mean, that is his thing. Sometimes it's writing a script, you know, he'll be working on a script for a really long time and that is his thing. So he tends to kind of bounce around in what is interesting him at the moment. And like everything is that project, whether it's the script or the film or the band or the something, the performance, the, you know, and I think um, for me, I've been kind of like, I kind of have a sort of slow, consistent, like, oh, I'm working. Oh, I got to going to go overseas. Oh, I don't have anything. I didn't get any grants. Oh, I got this grant. Oh, I have this, you know, it kind of has been this slow uh, sort of rolling hill. But I think I we learn from each other, you know, like I, he, he is so like, he really can just go into a studio space and just, um, we call it lab Lido because Leslie <laughs> lab and I'm like oh he's lab Lido like no talking to him he's like there where I tend to you know it's hard for a dancer to do that I think to just be in the studio it's hard to have a solo studio practice Mm -hmm. very hard so I was I really truly was just on the phone with him talking about I need to work on my solo studio practice like yeah you never realize how much of everything that you do you hate until you're in the studio by yourself. Listen. <laughs> Listen. Why does my pinky toe move like that ill? I, I, yeah, I just, I have a hard time motivating it by myself. It's, it is hard. It's hard to go into a studio and ha- like, even if you have set goals. Like I have a show, I got to make up phrases. I got to figure, you know, even in that scenario, solo studio practice, it's, it is challenging. I'm, I admire people who have a really solid solo dance practice. And I don't know a lot of, if I'm being very honest, I do not know a lot of people who do. Mm -mm. Yeah. And the, the ones that I, I can think of, like it's, it's almost like, for lack of a better word, like their religion. It's like they gotta, they've gotta practice. They've gotta do. They've gotta do their meditation. They've gotta do it, you yeah. know. But I guess once you find that that zone that works for you, it can become that. Yeah, I'm not that because I know my my work like is outside in <laughs> usually. Yeah. So yeah. Mm. Mm. But yeah, I love that because, you know, with when you have two artists who have their own styles and agendas, I guess it helps that, you know, you're not doing the same things unless, of course, you know, you're collaborating on the same project. But, you know. Yeah, we should honestly, we should be collaborating more. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we that's another thing we talk about a lot, like trying to collaborate more to help each other. But I read his scripts and give him really honest feedback. And Les is one of the only people who gives me brutally honest feedback. Mm -hmm. I mean, brutal. (laughs) 
Right. Like, like for an example, I was putting together a promo for a showing that I did recently for Cannonball Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a work in progress showing and I put a little promo together out of some rehearsal footage and he looked at it and said, this is terrible. You need to remake the whole thing. I had spent oh. all day trying to tinker this little thing together. He said, it's awful. <laughs> just, just, no, baby. No, this is terrible. I was like, but I spent all day on this thing. And he's like, yeah, you need to recut that. That is awful. And I, I'm re- sorry you wasted your day. <laughs> yeah, this is boring. I'm not interested in any of this. None of these shots are interesting. Why did you do? I mean, brutal. Uh, another time I was trying to do a dance film. This is years ago. I was trying to do a dance film and I didn't have a good plan. I just actually, I had a costume. <laughs> I had a costume and not a plan. And I had some <laughs> weird coat and a whole bunch of, we were living in Jersey out at Big Dave's farm. We were looking after Big Dave's farm at the time. And I had this big weird coat and I put all of this, um, crazy dried uh, grass in my hair. So it was just like my whole head looked at like giant dried grass. And so I had this sort of weird, like, oh, I'll be a weird creature and I'll do a dance video. And so I drug Les out to shoot me. He's like, what are you doing? This is weird. And I was like, it's good, right? And he was like, no, none of this is good. Actually, I should try to dig that footage up. I mean, and it wasn't, it wasn't good. Because you can't just have a costume. I mean, you can, but I can't. Some people, right. not for me. I needed a little more. Like I needed, I needed a song, a concept, anything. <laughs> Brutal honesty. That's what I got. Brutal honesty. There was a couple of times he was writing a script with female characters, and I would read it and just be like, "No woman would say this." Have you met a woman? <laughs> I was like, this is terrible. I mean, but because, and Les actually craves brutal honesty, and I right. do not. I am uh, sick. I'm like, what? <laughs> no. You know, like, but then. What did you say about uh, my baby? <laughs> why would you say that? I spent all day working on this promo. He's like, it's terrible. Trash. <laughs> Awful. Better to know now than later. I mean, you know, and I remade it and it was better. I mean, it wasn't, I remade it and it, he was like, it needs to be 30 seconds. You need to get rid of all this crap. And I was like, okay. And I remade it and it, he was right. It was, there was a lot of crap. You need that. And, you know, that's a, actually a luxury that not many people have. You know, a lot of people, they don't get the harsh feedback until after they spent money and did the marketing and the audiences came and left, <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, he's, he's, a, uh, he sees a lot of dance because as you know, Les videotapes a lot of dance in the community. So he mm-hmm. actually has a pretty good sense of if it holds up to what everybody's doing or if it's, you know, not so good. Right, he's got a thermometer. That's right. He has, a, yeah, a pretty good thermometer. Because barometer. he'll always he'll barometer, barometer, thermometer, whatevs. Temperature <laughs> taken. The temperature is bad. Um, <laughs> the temperature is no, baby. Back to the drawing board. Uh, no, this? I mean, no, <laughs> no. This, is, this weather is no. I had to put on a coat. No, 
Um, yeah. No, he, he has an understanding. And he'll say often to me, I'm from the hip-hop world. I do not know modern dance. But he knows modern dance. He probably knows modern dance more than he cared to admit. Of course he does. Working with Rennie. Rennie has a modern dance mindset, even though the vehicle is hip-hop. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. there. <laughs> yes. I love it. Yeah, my my feedback uh, from my partner is always like, bored. What else? <laughs> like, I will damn. <laughs> that and like, um, my whole thing is it's got to be right. Otherwise, why am I doing it? And she's like, her whole thing is don't let perfection be the enemy of good enough. And I'm like, but no, that's not right. You know, so you need that. You need that balance, that yin to yang. Yes, yes. So you are among so many other things. You are an educator of the dance. Yes. Yes. Talk to me about, I mean, I know the answer to this question, but like talk to me about, you know, the importance of dance education in all its forms, especially now, especially in 2024, because child. Oh, oh, that's a really loaded question. That is a very, very loaded question for me, especially at this moment in my life. Um, You're welcome. I, <laughs> my, my thing with dance education right now is that we're at this weird moment in time where it's so hard to be a dancer and um, it's really important and, and dance is very important. And how do you hold those two things? Because I, I don't, I do teach some young classes. I teach at Philadelphia Dance Theater on Wednesday nights and I teach a younger group of, I would say, I don't know how old those kids are exactly, but I would say from 12, my first group is around 12 to 15. And then my second group is around 15 to 18. And then nice. I teach an adult. So, so I do have some teenagers, but I primarily teach college, meaning mm. I'm primarily in academia and I have been for a long time. Right. And I've moved into a full-time position. In 2019, right before the pandemic, I got a job uh, teaching alongside Silvana Cardell at Georgian Court University. Nice. And it's a lovely, tiny little program in New Jersey. And the students are great and wonderful and sweet. But I have a hard time wrestling with this idea of putting more students into debt to get dance degrees. And so right. that I find that a little bit tricky to wrestle with. And I try my best as somebody who works in higher ed to really be honest about my own trajectory in dance, the field of dance currently um, in terms of it's, it's really hard to dance. And also the world really needs dance. And, and you know, how do you put those two things next to each other? It's a double-edged sword, man. Yeah. I, I mean, I think um, in general, Students these days are rethinking higher education as a place to go and be. I think artists are rethinking it. I think the weight of a dance degree 
may be different than it was 10 years ago. Right. I, I mean, I don't know if they're, I don't think when I went, I, I mean, my, here's the thing. My parents were very supportive in all of my, you know, college decisions in regards to becoming a dancer. My mother takes dance class still. My father um, is an electrical engineer or, but also a musician. So both of them were really strongly connected to the arts and really supportive of what I was doing. No one ever told me, don't get a dance degree. Never, never. Um, which I, I didn't realize that other parents were whispering into their children's ear, don't get dance degrees. Like I didn't know that was a thing. Um, mm. But I also, you know, my college was not expensive. I didn't spend, I'm not in debt from college. I'm not paying off student loans. Um, and so I think, I think about that a lot as a, somebody who's working in academia in a situation where I don't, I don't want people to be in debt from getting a BA in dance. That seems ridiculous to me. Right. Yeah. That's cause I, I mean, always think, yeah. It, it, I mean, if you look at like, so I, there's a, there's a pragmatism and a practicality um, in regards, if your parents can support you to go and, and pay for your college, or if you have a fabulous scholarship, you know, but if you are spending, if you're leaving a, a long career in academia from in dance and you, you have like 150 K in debt, I mean, that's terrible to me because yeah. there it's not sustainable. There aren't dance jobs where you will make that money. And so there, there's something kind of broken in our system. Um, but yeah, so I, that's why it's a load. Like dance education is such a loaded question. I think dance should be in every single school, every elementary school, every middle school, every high school. I don't see why it is not. I think dance education is incredibly important and it should be free. You know, I think it would be hoove us to have tons of dance in every elementary school middle school and high school all across the United States. It would make us better, more well-rounded, healthier, um, you know, able to communicate in a world where we're always doing this to be able oh, to yeah. touch and move our body. I mean, there's so many reasons why dance is like so important. And I mean that sincerely as an educator, I'm wrestling with currently, and I don't think, and I think this is specifically because of the pandemic is that, when everything shut down and like the dance world kind of went up, you know, kind of mm. collectively held our breath. Um, and then I, I don't know, I just, I have a different um, mindset a little bit in terms of what is the role of dance in higher education. And I don't have fabulous answers. I am happy. I'm, I love my students. I love my job. I love my university, but I also, would love for people to have careers that are flourishing. And I do not love the idea of student debt. So there's a lot of, yeah, challenging things. I'm glad you brought that up. Cause that is definitely a conversation that has been being had, uh, especially since, like you said, like since the pandemic, um, the idea of information being held hostage or behind a paywall. You know, and like, yet yeah, going to a college or university, you know, historically was this elite thing, but, you know, the access to a certain degree has been open, but the elitism is still there. And it's like, hmm, what up with well, that? I, I think when you, 
if you can step back for a second and look at the way dance is a part of our social media and the way TikTok dance challenges have sort of, I mean, at first, you know, talking about flash mobs, there was the flash mob, the dance flash mob. And now the flash mob has sort of given way for a lot of, I mean, actually that was not first. I think you have, so you think you can dance, dancing with the stars, mm. flash mobs, um, all of this is sort of percolating. And now anyone can look on their phone and see dancers, dancers, dancers. Dance is huge. If you think about it, when it comes to uh, dance as a digital presence, a dance that we co- dance content that is accessible. Oh my God. I would have loved to be able to like, just tap my fingers and see so many things online when right. I was, yeah, when I was growing I, you know, it's amazing to me how much dance is online and available. I follow three new dancers a day. I feel like. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, yeah, you can see, and you, you're like, Oh wow. I mean, I, I get inspired by watching dancers online. Um, so there's that. And then there's this thing that's happening where I think in many ways, uh, a lot of, dance departments are kind of clinging to this old model of being a dancer. And I think we haven't kind of figured out how to shift or shake that up. I mean, number one, I would love to see dancers somehow monetizing all of that dance content. You know, how can you get paid by being a dance influencer by, you know, how are you able to like help that feed your life and your, you know, so I think, I mean, so there, there's, there's gotta be some, I I feel we're almost at the step where dance could be a little bit better monetized, not just dancers as backup dancers, not just dancers, commercial dancers to be, but how do you monetize all of the free dance content, you know, basically is what I, I wonder. Um, and then how are universities exploring dance careers knowing about all this dance content that's out there um and the the dance departments i i feel like we don't have a good sense there's dancers dancing you know there's tons of dancers dancing at studios they're dancing in their living rooms you know how, and always will be right but how how do departments help uh hold like i i just i feel like there's still this break like we're still not not quite there. I think there's, there's definitely been a much greater move towards um, understanding the influence of hip hop and specific hip hop forms in dance departments that has been new. And I'm very excited that that is happening so that there's a kind of, there is a growing sense of hip hop history and a growing sense of um, how much hip hop has really shaken up the dance, hip hop dance in, specific, in particular has really shaken up the dance world so that there, that is slowly being incorporated into universities and, and being looked and valued in dance departments. And I think one thing I, I just, I feel like for a really long time, and I, I, you know, this already, most people know this, but there's been sort of like a commercial dance world and then academic dance world. And I right. don't think I don't think it serves the academic dance world to thumb their nose at the commercial dance world. I really right. especially not when you look at some of the commercial dancers and they're killing it. And they, you know, I mean, they're technically amazing and they're able to, you know, really understand a lot of styles and be able 
you know, it, back in the 90s, people weren't ballet dancers and hip-hop dancers and modern dancers and, you know, tap dancers and ballroom. You know, they didn't have to do everything. And right. now they have to do everything. And so the technique, the level of technical ability has, like, gone up, 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 up. And the amount of dance out there is, like, up, up, up. And still I feel like um, in, in the in dance departments we're clinging to postmodern dance a little bit we're just like holding it like but it's the best and i'm like is it really though right. is, is it really the best y'all could we be better is there a best <laughs> yeah really i mean you know or and and it's funny because i i look on this forum that uh actually my dear friend liz uh started the dance professors online this was have, have you looked on this forum Yes. That on Facebook and it started during COVID um, when everybody was on lockdown and kind of needed a place. Uh, and Liz actually was a grad student at UNCG when I was an undergrad. So that's how I know mm -hmm. Liz. Um, but she started that forum and I keep up with it. And one of the things that I know a lot of departments are doing is sort of reevaluating why are we requiring ballet? You know, why are, or why, why do we require this much ballet, but only this much, you know, African diasporic forms. Why do we require that? You know, what's the value system that we've put right. in play that we've just sort of follow along? Um, and what kind of dancers are, are we creating? So I know that it, I, it's slowly like that people are thinking about it and trying to digest this. I mean, we are digesting it in my own department. Um, you know, we talk a lot about making sure that there's a diverse sense of what is out there and available in inside of our teeny tiny department. So I know it's happening all across all across America, but I, I think it could be it could it could the shakedown could be greater. I certainly see questions like talking about requiring pink ballet tights and I'm just wanna pull my hair out. Right. You know what I mean? Like I'm like, really? We're still fucking requiring pink ballet tights? Like this is still a thing, y'all? I mean, this is still an argument that we're having. I, I don't know. So, but, you know. Yeah, like the first time I saw brown tights and brown point shoes, it didn't occur to me until then, like, oh, pink tights. Fuck y'all. <laughs> I mean, it's, the whole thing is why is lifting your leg to here, you know, why right. is this more important than being on beat right right <laughs> because i know a lot of people you know a lot of people can do this but do not have the ability to be truly on beat right so i mean i just think you know that but we have to know all the things right so i think that's that's the question that people are asking themselves like what are we what are we really doing that's the thing do we want to know all the things or do we want to know all the things yeah i so anyway we'll We'll see. I'm very, as I live in dance, you know, colleges in a dance university, like as I'm in this world, I'm curious to see where we go from here. Like what happens next? What will the next 10 years hold for the dance world? Because and the dance world in college in particular, because I, I, I'm wondering if a lot of students will only go to like very select schools and stop getting degrees in dance i mean it's uh, the it's for real I'm, I'm telling you 
there is every every university that I know of from Temple to UArts to my small university has experienced this incredible drop off of students. Yeah. Post pandemic. And I'm saying incredible, like incredible drop off of students. Like fifty oh, percent yeah. less all across the board. So I'm I'm very curious. You know, I'm hanging on, <laughs> hanging on by the, by my small claws. Um, but I also am being realistic, and I I want to contribute to the dance world in a meaningful way. And if that is if that turns out not to be in academia, then I would I would go elsewhere. Right, because yeah. Well, like I said, there there's been this ongoing conversation about you know breaking down the paywall that separates people from information. Like I actually remember someone posting. I think this was over the pandemic. Um, someone posting a QR code that just so happened to be like I think it was the Harvard Library Archives or something like that. And it's mm-hmm. like you should absolutely not click on this QR code and get as much information as you can before they realize that we did this and take it down. Don't do that. Please don't do that. Here's the link. (laughs) You know, it's like, wow, it's like that. Yeah. You know, it it all comes down to it's all of us or none of us, I guess. Yeah. 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 I vote for all of us, right? Right. (laughs) Because, you know, and you, you've been all over. You're a world traveler. You've been around the globe, so yes. you see, you see the the reception of of dance throughout different cultures. Um, actually, talk to me a little bit about that. Talk, what's 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 the your favorite place that you've you've been around the world? Ooh, Do you have a favorite? <laughs> I don't have a favorite place. I think places, you know, it's funny. I think um, different places have, you know, special places in my heart for different reasons. Um, I, talking about modern modern dance and postmodern dance and contemporary dance, I usually call what I do contemporary dance these days. Just, it's, I'm, I'm using the term modern dance a lot, but it, I really, I think we should all just move to contemporary dance and just let it go. <laughs> let, it, right. let it go. One of those reasons is because people in Europe really just say contemporary dance. They're yeah. not using modern dance. When you say modern dance in Europe, you mean Martha Graham and like very formal. Right. That's what you mean when you say modern dance. Um, that's what I have found. Uh, but I, I, you know, I fall in and out of love with, postmodern and contemporary dance all the time. And I think I was kind of out of love with postmodern dance. And I went to Egypt um, in 2012, ages ago. I went again in 2014. But in 2012, I realized, oh, there's places where this dance form really is important and profound to people. And Egypt was one of those places that I went. And so in terms Mm -hmm. of like moments... like I've had a, lo- a lot of lovely performances. I went to a tiny little town um, in Poland last year, Gdansk, Gdansk, um, for a, a little <laughs> festival. And I had a great time and I did a solo there and it was 
wonderfully received and I love the dancers who I was around and I had a wonderful time there. But I think in terms of places that have been really impactful for me, I think when I go to Egypt, it's, it's huge because I realize how uh, this dance form that I take for granted and I'm like, Oh, dance, but like the kind of, uh, the sort of shrug it off attitude I have is it's like lifeblood for the artists in Egypt. You know, it's so, um, it means so much. And the, the audiences in Egypt are so much more receptive to dance, uh, than the audiences here. Which is interesting. Like, and I, when I say receptive, I mean, they're, they're engaged, like they're engaged in it. Like they're like, it's fascinating. It, your partner going boring you know? <laughs> or my partner being like, boo, <laughs> <laughs> terrible. Back to the drawing board. I mean, I think, it, you know, in a place like Egypt, it's just so fresh and so new and exciting in a way that I think it's uh, not fresh and exciting and new to our American eyes or the American audience. So, right. We, We've seen it all. We, we, you have to impress us. Not so much there, I guess. Yeah. You know, I, I so just, yeah, I, but I, I, I do enjoy traveling. I, I tend to go to like, I feel like the countries I've been to are not necessarily, um, you know, these big, uh, dance places. So I tend to have a lot of really great, like, I don't think of Poland as a big dance country, but I've been to Poland a couple of times with my work for whatever reason. Maybe I look kind of Polish. Hmm. Um, <laughs> Which is interesting because some of the coolest uh, contemporary dance I've seen um, came out of Poland. Yeah, I, I mean, but yeah, so you never know. Like, I, I think maybe it's that Philly sensibility of um, I've been to a couple different places that feel maybe a little more isolated, but there's interesting work or there's a sort of reception or interest in my work for whatever reason. Um, so yeah, I, I've been to Poland a couple of times. They still have the arts worked into their national budget, right? I think that's part yes. of it. Yeah. Yes. And I, I think what's interesting talking, spinning, it, nice. back, spinning yes. it back to this idea of dance education, um, there are a lot of countries where you are, it's still a lot of the dancers who are my age and younger still come from this system where if you want to be a dancer, you are chosen, you choose that career when you're 12. Right. And that's what you do. And you don't do, you're not going to a liberal arts school. You're not thinking about it. You're not shifting and deciding to be a dancer at 22. Um, you, you become a dancer at 12 and you train and then when you're 18, after brutal training, you are a dancer and then you go out into the world of dance. So and you that, like it. I mean, that's, it's, that was what, when I was speaking with Polish dancers, Mexican dancers, um, dancers from other places in Europe, there, there was this sort of a very different, first of all, most of them don't go to college for dance. Many of them don't go to college for dance. Um, which I found fascinating. They go to sort of a pre-college that is like 16 to 19 ish, like a, a concert, their version of the conservatory happens younger. Okay. So they're kind of like ready and primed to be dancers when they're, you know, in 20 or something. That's okay. not to say there's not 
you know, you have parts, you have other conservatories. Um, but even I went to a conservatory for a year in Australia and that was the case. Like, even though they started like, you know, 17 and a half, whenever they finished high school, 18, it was three solid years of just dance. That was what dancers did. And so they were ready. They're at 20. They're like, we have our degree and now we're ready to dance. You know, I mean, it, it's just our, our version, our sort of, um, our version of, uh, academic dance programs and the, the whole BA, BFA, I think is very different in different cultures and in different countries. So that is incredibly different than most other, we Americans are very different in that, in that way. Um, yeah, I was going to say, it's almost like there's more than one way to do things and there's no, you know, wrong way. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 really nice to be able to hang out and study a bunch of different things. It's, it's I actually, there's a lot of people are kind of anti-double majoring and doing, but I think, you know, the more you can do in your life that's outside of just a studio, the richer your artwork becomes. So... Right, because the whole point of the arts is to make you well-rounded. So, you know, be well-rounded. <laughs> you got to do all this stuff. Exactly. You gotta know be all, all that you can be. Oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I could sit and talk with you all day. Um, so, like, yeah, let's talk. Let's talk all day. <laughs> <laughs> so what's what's next for Megan? Um, uh, upcoming, I have a, uh, my very most up next thing, my most up next would be, I'm doing a solo that I've been touring a little bit. It's called old Swan. I'm doing that in February, February 9th. Here's my plug. February 9th, come and see me at the solo duo fest. Um, and there also is another Philly person, Muyu, who will, Muyu Ruba. I don't know if you know her. She's a Temple graduate. She was, she's also been in Silvana's work and she has okay. been, she's adjuncted at Georgian court university where I teach. Um, and she, small world. yeah. And she's doing, yeah. So she's going to do, I think she's on the eighth. Maybe I'd have to check out when she's performing, but she's also part of the solo duo fest um, at Dixon place in New York city. Nice. So you can see my solo in New York. Uh, and then I'm doing the Temple Alumni Show. I'm doing an excerpt of a piece called Deprogram, which is also about video games. <laughs> I love it. Now you missed round one. Now you can see round two. So I'm doing that. That is February 24th, 25th. It's the Friday, Saturday. I might be butchering those dates, but I'm doing the Temple Alumni Show. Nice. Um, I'm continuing work on this project that it's a trio, um, called Soapbox, and I'm going to keep working on that. And then I'm making a new project next year for the Dance Visions residency. Am I allowed mm -hmm. to talk about that? I, I hope so. That's coming up. Do it. <laughs> I did. I asked Jean Reddy. I said, can I start talking about that? She's like, yes, it's okay. Cause I was like, I need to. You know, I'm, I'm very excited. I'm going to be the 24, 25 or 20. Yes. 24, 25, 2024, 2025 resident nice. artist. After Congratulations, Meredith. by the way. Yes. I'm so excited. After Meredith Rainey's tenure, I shall be there. Um, 
as the resident artist for Performance Garage, which I am psyched about for a million different reasons. Mainly, I love the space at Performance Garage. It is beautiful. That big studio space, I've always loved it. Absolutely gorgeous. Um, so I'm really excited to work there. I'm excited to do something new. So I'm planning on making a new piece um, about internal monologues, like internal thinking. Like what's in, you know, I've been doing a lot of work with the voice talking and looping text and doing a lot of talking and text work. So I'm going to um, be making a piece a little bit about sort of your internal the internal as opposed to the external. So, I love it. I may or may not have pushed for you for that. <laughs> they well, were naming the candidates. I said, Megan and. <laughs> I may or may not be very, very happy to have you there pushing, pushing for me. Tis my pleasure. What, what are you doing at the Performance Garage these days? You're a technical director, yes? I'm the, the production manager. Production manager. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm, I, it's funny, really, I was saying this to Jean Reddy, there's really few opportunities in Philly right now because after Dance USA Philadelphia closed down and after, you know, I think Terry Fox um, does do a, a little bit here and there. Uh, she does some limited programming with um, Philadelphia Dance Projects, but you know, CEC doesn't have the new edge mix any, I mean, there's just, there's very few programs yeah. for independent choreographers these days. There's almost nothing besides cannonball. I know. Yeah. We need to do something about that. I know. Well, Megan Maserick, this has been a delightful conversation. I hope you have enjoyed it as much as I have. I have. I have. I am sorry to go, but you probably don't need to have me <laughs> blather. I mean, I can blather on for hours and hours, so it's probably best that we cut it before it goes on forever. <laughs> hey, there is nothing wrong with blathering. <laughs> um, but I am going to make a point of putting uh, links to all of your upcoming projects in the notes to this episode so that uh, folks can... You should also... Out put a link sorry to interrupt but you should i am so sore today because i have, took vince johnson's house class last uh, night oh shoot you should put i mean i that's why i'm just like i'm in my sweats like i'm gonna go do some yoga after i talk to you because my quads are on fire so that nice. should be it that should be a program note vince johnson's house class vince johnson no. is no joke no <laughs> joke no joke <laughs> <laughs> that is the truth. Yeah. Um, so if we wanted to to follow you and and learn more about you and what you do, where should we go? Uh, I mean, I try to stay off social media, but I yeah, you should you should you follow me on social media. I post once every five months. <laughs> Please follow me. You should eat. No, you should email me. That's the best. The best way to get in touch with me is to just plain old email me. I do have a web page. I don't know if people look at websites anymore, but you know, I did. I try. <laughs> I, I have a website, www.meganmasrick.com, um, which I try to keep 
relatively updated. And then I, I post on social media once every five months. I mean, <laughs> staying off social media is not the worst idea. It's it's not the worst, but I'll be honest, as an artist, it, it's, it's not a good idea. I should definitely be out there on social Again, media. Again, the double-edged sword. Right? Because I don't actually want to be on the Facebook or the Instagram or the things, but <sighs> I should be on the things and the things and the doing my own, doing my, getting followers, whatever that is. See, the best thing to do is post your stuff and then throw the phone away and run in the opposite direction before you like stay on there too long. Cause. Yeah. I put limits on all of my stuff, so I can't look at it for more than like 10 minutes a day. Good. Cause. That's, I, that's what I try to do. I'm, I, I, if you want to follow me, come take Vince's house class with me. <laughs> come on, cross promotion. Yeah. <laughs> I dare you. I double dog dare you. Good God, that class was hard. I'm trying to teach more class. You know, my goals for this year is I am going to try to post more because I, I do want to teach more this summer and do stuff. So, yeah, but I, you know, I'm going to try to, now that I'm saying this, I, yeah, follow me on Instagram, Megan Madden. <laughs> follow me. Maybe I'll post every two months. <laughs> probably not maybe i could i'll maybe i'll maybe i'll post every two months <laughs> maybe stay, I'll stay, stay tuned for five posts from me this year <laughs> just, just email me and look at my website i try to keep my my shit up to date <laughs> that's so funny <laughs> no other people are good at this i'm i really it's because I was one of the last, I, I'm going to shut up, but I was one of the last people to get an iPhone. I did okay. not want a fucking iPhone. I wanted, I had a Nokia brick. Do you remember uh, those Nokia bricks? I yes. kept thing in probably until like 2012. Like I, I don't want to be found. Don't text me. I don't want it. People were like, why aren't you getting a smartphone? I was like, I don't want a smartphone. I can to, play Snake. Yeah, I just, I, yeah. No, I couldn't even play Snake. I still had to be like, beep, boop, 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 A. Bop, oh, sorry. No, be it. <laughs> yeah. I still had to text like that. So I just didn't text. I mean, yeah, I was really, it, I'm, you know. I'm the not, first time I realized text messaging was a thing, someone texted me and it was a wrong number. <laughs> I was like, "What is going on?" Yeah, that's how old I am. I'm old. I hope you have. I hope you don't have any young listeners. They're gonna be like, "What? What is she talking about?" Beep, boop, beep, beep. <laughs> that's back in the day when you had to like when there was if you wanted to get to a another letter, you had to keep punching on that uh -huh. corresponding number. <laughs> that was. Yeah. I had that's really gotten good at T9 for a little bit there. Yeah. But I, I used to love that. Like, I biking through Philadelphia, and that brick phone would fall out of my back pocket. It would just, like, chug a lug down into the cracks <laughs> of 4th Street or whatever, 5th Street, you're going up or down. You know, you just pick it up, and it was fine. You know right. what I mean? That was a beautiful time. And it only cost 75 bucks, so, you know. Exactly. You know. <laughs> Anyway, yes, I'll, I'll try to do more than uh, three posts this year, maybe. 
maybe I'll try to get it to <laughs> I'm looking for an intern. Does <laughs> anybody uh, I like doing social media? I could certainly use some help. So <laughs> there you have it. If you see two posts from Megan in the same month, you know it wasn't her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she got that intern. <laughs> she got that intern finally. Good for her. Oh my goodness. See, this is why I needed to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, because I see yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You're funny. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm about to be 40 January 23rd. I'm turning 44 years old. Okay. I'm turning 44 and I'm I'm trying to join the, you know, 21st century eventually. Okay. Got to happen eventually. Eventually I'm going to jump on board. If for I mean, no other reason just for self-promotional reasons, I guess. I mean, you know, if there's a reason to do anything, it's for self-promotion. I have this thing. Every time I look at like Facebook and Instagram, it just looks like commercials to me. Everything looks like a commercial. It's all ads. Everything I mean, looks like an ad. Even the non-ads look like ads. I'm like, it's one big ad. Yeah. Accurate. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Because everyone's like, me. I put, me, me. I'm going to play some more ads for myself. That's what I'll try to do. More ads, more Megan. <laughs> actually, more Megan. I, you know, my one of my things pre in like when in 2019, I was trying to see a lot of shows. You know what people could do? They can hit me up and tell me when they're performing because I want to see other people performing. I like to see dance. I like to stay current in the Philly scene. I like to know what's going on. See all the shows. See those independent artists making the work work. You know. Exactly. Well, hit me up and tell me when your show is, please. There it is. She said it. <laughs> and on that note, I am going to wish you a fabulous day. Thank you so much for talking to me. Oh, thank you. It was lovely to chat. It Are you at your home right now? It looks beautiful. I am. Thank you. I'm in my dining room. I love it. <laughs> AKA my podcast studio. I'm behind a, a 70s tapestry. Look, my mom made that. In the 70s. It was hanging in my house. I love it. Those 70s. And so I'm like, my mom, that's my, I'm, I'm sitting in front of my mom's embroidered picture. <laughs> Her 70s embroidered picture on the wall. I love it. It yeah. creates a nice little tableau, as it were. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Thank you, Megan. Thank you. I will see you in person soon, I hope. Yes. This has been Dance Talk Radio, brought to you by PhiladelphiaDance.org, your one-stop spot for everything dance in Philly. If you are a dancer in Philly, or if you love a dancer in Philly, you should consider visiting PhiladelphiaDance.org and clicking on the Become a Member button. And take advantage of all the fabulous benefits that come from being a member of Dance in Philly. Once again, I am your host, Charles Tyson Jr., and you have a fabulous day.